Okay, our Old Testament passage this morning is Exodus chapter 7. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Exodus 7. Uh, we'll read reading verses 1 through 13, and then over to Romans 9, 16 through 18. This is God's word. Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by acts of judgment, by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Now over to Romans chapter 9. Verses 16 through 18, and you know the context. We've been speaking in the last two weeks. This is our third sermon in this particular pericope, these, these passages. And we're talking about God's sovereign election. And verse 16 through 18. Paul says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, But on God, who has mercy, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So, then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you in prayer, and we need your spirit. We need illumination. We need understanding, Lord God. And I pray that you would soften our hearts, that we would be conformed, Lord, to your precious word. Um, These are difficult passages. They're hard in many ways um, to to understand, uh, to grasp, to to get our hearts around, Lord God. Yet it's your sovereign word. And it's um, the beauty of your majesty, the beauty of your sovereignty, Lord God, beauty of who you are. So I pray, Lord, that by your spirit you would be with all of us, that you would be with me to bring forth your word clearly, plainly, Lord God, and with power, and that you would be with all of us to receive your word, to know it, to love it, to grow in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, love and mercy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so, you know, at this point, we've been dealing with objections to God's sovereign election. Paul saw it coming, because when you preach a doctrine like this, people are going to push back if they know what you're saying. People understood what Paul was saying about God's sovereign election, and so they do push back. There are two major categories of pushback. The, the one idea usually is fairness. You know, how can this be fair? It's, you know, it's, how can God do this? What, you know, that doesn't seem right. I don't choose some and not others. We started talking about that last week. Next week, we'll talk about our free will. What about my free will? What about, you know, what part do I play in this? Don't I have a say in any of this? Uh, we'll talk about that, like I said, next week. So, Last week, we did see that God is not unjust in his sovereign election. He is not obligated to show mercy. As a matter of fact, we're under his judgment. So that mercy is unearned. It's unmerited. It's a gift. He has the right to grant it or to withhold it because he is God, and we deserve his punishment and justice. So, again, if you want to have more information on that, you can go back to to last week's sermon. Paul goes on to use Pharaoh as an example of God's sovereign will of mercy. And he decided not to show or extend mercy to Pharaoh, but he uses him to demonstrate his authority, his power, his sovereignty, and to bring glory to himself and to let us know that there is salvation in no one else. Outside of God, there is no salvation. So we're still kind of on the fairness idea. The question of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Again, that seems, you know, at, at first glance, it's it's not what people might think at first or, or what you may think initially. When you think of hardening, what's that mean? Now, what does that mean? What does it teach us about our own nature and about our needs? So kind of have these questions in mind as we're going through these passages. Does hardening mean that God makes Pharaoh and others, for that matter, sin? Who would otherwise not sin? It almost seems like, oh, you know, he, he almost wants to do the right thing, but I'm going to harden your heart so you can't. So, so you're, it, that's not fair, is it? That, so that's kind of an objection, a pushback that we get. Or can a person be kept from believing who would otherwise believe? You know, maybe, maybe Pharaoh wanted to believe in, in God, but God said, no, 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 I'm going to harden your heart. I'm not going to let you believe. I'm not going to let you do what you want to do. So, so he's actively hardening hearts. That's, these are some of the, the, the questions or the, the pushback that you get. Like God's preventing somebody who would otherwise believe. No, 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 no. Hardening does not make or force a person to sin in any way. Doesn't cause them to not believe if they were so inclined to believe. Rather, here's the idea, and here's what Paul's bringing forth. Remember, the sovereign election of God, this is an example of that. Scripture says, for this very purpose, says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up to show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Here's the idea, and when you think about hardening of hearts in that way, it's more of a passive kind of concept in that way. What's happening is God simply allows an individual to act according to their own will, to their own way, to their own desires. He, he does not restrain. He doesn't 
hope back. He doesn't, he lifts his restraints. So he kind of lets you go and he hardens in that way. He's not actively hardening. It's not like you're saying, I want to believe and God say, no, 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 you can't believe. I'm not going to let you do that. It's not that at all. All he does in, in this way of hardening, and you know this, this isn't, and we've talked about this before, he just lets us go. He doesn't, he takes the restraints off. And he lets us act according to our own desires, our own will, the way we would naturally go in that way. There are different categories of, of hardening in Scripture. We'll take a brief look at some of these. Um, but the bottom line is this. There's always an increase of sin. When God lets us go, that hardening of heart, there's going to be an increase of sin. But it's in Scripture comes out in different ways. So, for instance, it could be judicial. It's a judgment. God... Um, hardens hearts as a judgment. He takes the restraints off, lets people be who they're going to be, and that's a judgment against them. We talked about this way back in Romans chapter 1. If you want to turn back to Romans 1, verses 24 through 28. And we read this. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Then they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So as it's judicial in a sense. He lets them go. That heart is hardened. And it's not in Romans 1, this, this idea of like, oh, when you see these things, guess what? God's judgment's coming. God's ju- no, no, no. When you see these kinds of things, God's judgment is here. The hearts are hardened in that way. And they're to the point of, this is not, oh wow, this means God is, is going to judge us. This is a judgment on us because we've rejected God. So he uses it in that way. He also uses it to show how sinful and wicked the heart becomes when left to itself. Right? Again, if we kept on reading in Romans 1, you would see that, the, the sinfulness of man. But think of the days of Noah. People were just doing what they wanted to do. They were marrying, giving in marriage, living the way they want as if God did not exist. Judges is another great example of that. When there was no king in Israel, what did the people do? They did what was right in their own sight. That king represented authority. That king represented the law in that way. When you take that out, when you take that restraint out, then what are people going to do? They're going to do what's right in their own eyes. He uses the hardening of hearts to accomplish his purposes, like we see here in Romans 9. But there's also, a, I believe it's a good illustration in, in Isaiah chapter 10. If you want to turn with me in your Bible, to Isaiah chapter 10. It's not explicit, but it's implicit. And you see in the hearts of the Assyrians um, as God uses them to judge his own people. So here in Isaiah, God's people have turned against him. They're, of course, they're, their hearts are against God. They're not following him. They're rejecting him. So God is going to judge his people, and he's going to use the Assyrians to do that. 
in, in, in his way. But the Assyrians aren't going to say, oh, God, I'm glad you're using us to, to judge your people. They're doing it for their own hard-hearted reasons, okay? Because they are going to go and conquer other nations. So then God ends up judging the Assyrians for their actions and their hardness of heart. I think it's a nice illustration or a good example kind of of this hardening left to themselves that they're going to do this. So in Isaiah, beginning in verse 5, he says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The staff in their hands is my fury against a godless nation. I send them. He's speaking of Israel at this point. And against the people of my wrath, I commanded him to take spoil and to seize plunder and to tread them down like the mire in the street. So here's God saying, you're going to, I'm using you as my instrument. That's from God's perspective. But from the perspective of the Assyrians, it's this. But does he not so intend and in his heart does not think that? He's not thinking he's doing God's will. He's thinking, I just want to crush the, the, the Israelites. <clears throat> But in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. For he says, are not my commanders all kings? Is not Cano like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? So see, you see the um, Assyrians acting from their own hardness of heart. So they're not seeing themselves as an instrument of God's righteousness. But they're saying, I'm going to go crush you anyway. Right? So what does God say to them in verse 12? For the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem. He will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. Then he goes on to talk about that. So I think that's an example of God, that hardening of heart. He uses that to accomplish his purpose. He used wicked, sinful people whose hearts are hardened to accomplish his purpose but then he turns around and punishes them because of their hardness of heart. Also, this idea of hardening, when we get that, it shows the need. I think we're living in a day and age where you see the need for Jesus Christ more than ever. Back in the day when there was more or less a Christian ethos uh, in this nation, okay, people always need Christ. But right now, when he takes his hand of restraint off, when those hearts get hard, aren't we living in a time where it's just, you need Jesus Christ. So everybody, we're like breaking the glass. You know, just break the glass. Forget about trying to you know talk about different philosophies or theological points. It's break the glass and preach the gospel right now because that's what people need they've always needed that but we're living in such a time where that's become very evident isn't it we're so dark we just have to preach it we have to preach the gospel it shows our need right and not not simply to restrain but we need sin to be defeated and that's why christ came to deliver us from evil because of the hardness of heart so it transforms us he makes us into a new creation lifting his restraints Always restart. This is what he's doing with Pharaoh. Don't think that he's actively hardening his heart. I want to believe, but you're not letting me believe. I want to do your will, but you're not. No. If I let you go, you're going to do what you're going to do, and it's going to be against me. So lifting his restraints results in hardening. It's marked by unbelief, rejection, and increase in sin all the time. Uh, a pervasiveness and intensity of sin, both in individuals and in society. You could see this when he lifts his hands of restraint. There's a shift that happens. And we're living below, right now, I'm telling you, we're living in the midst of that. It's happening right here, right now, 
in our time amongst us. And you need to be aware of that, that his hand is being lifted and that hearts are being hardened and they're going to turn away from him and you're going to see the increase of sin. You're going to see the pervasiveness. You're going to see an intensity of it. You're going to see a shift from righteousness to unrighteousness. So we need to stand firm in that and understand that. That's part of this hardening. When God lifts those restraints. So in our day, let's just take our day for example. When the restraint was on, if you're old enough to remember, really not that long ago, there was a concern for justice. There was a concern for peaceful, orderly society. There was a concern for righteous law. There was a concern for enforcement of those laws. We're living in a time right now where the hearts are hardened. He takes that away. What's happening amongst us? We see an anarchy, violence, chaos, partiality, unjust laws, defund the police, contempt for justice. It's the time we're living in. The restraints are off. The hearts are hardening against God. That's all he's doing. When he takes those restraints, that's what's going to happen. That's what's happening to Pharaoh. When the restraint is on, when God is blessing, you think, think, think about Christian values, if you want to put it that way. Higher standards in every way across the board. Virtue, honor, discipline, self-discipline, fidelity, respect, Dignity, modesty, decorum, that's gone for the most part amongst us today. When that restraint is gone, what do you have? I'll put it in three words. Equity, diversity, inclusion. That's what it is. That lowers the standards. It disrespects so many. It robs so many people of dignity. You can go on and on with that. But this is what's happening when the hearts are hard. When the restraint's on, there is great respect for basic institution. When there's that that um, godliness in society, generally speaking, and that restraint is there. Great respect for basic institutions such as marriage, family, government, right? Personal property, private property. Great respect for that. When the hearts are hardened, you can see it. There's a devotion. They're devoted to corruption, destruction, and taking over and redefining these very things. We find ourselves in the midst of that. So what's happening, even in our nation now, it's kind of what happened with Pharaoh's heart. God's purposes are being fulfilled from that, not by God saying, I'm going to make you do this, even if you, even though you want to be good, but I'm just going to let you go. And this is a result of that. And so we see that. We see that in individuals. We see that in societies. We see that in nations. God is not preventing those who would otherwise obey him from obeying. It's letting them go to their own devices. And then eventually you get to the place of Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who substitute darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own sight, wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. We are here in our society today. This is why we need to preach the gospel. This is why we need to understand that God is sovereign. This is why we need to be faithful to our calling in Christ. Understand this. God did not make Pharaoh sin when it says he hardens his heart. He didn't prevent him from believing or obeying him. He just left him to himself. And that's why God must intervene into our lives, into our hearts with his sovereign grace. Because left to ourselves, we're not going to run towards God. We're going to run away from God. We talked about that last week. That is the truth. Mark it down. Watch it. It's happening right now before our eyes in spades. Now, it teaches us some very important points, these passages. So this sermon is not going to be as long because it's kind of a continuation from last week. We didn't want to have like an hour-long sermon last week, so kind of split these up. But here we're taught some very important truths. And the first one, it shows the nature, the depth, 
And I'm going to just say it, the plain stupidity of sin, the foolishness of unbelief. Look at Pharaoh. If you remember back, what did Pharaoh do? Once the pressure was off, once God lifted his hand, you know, he's coming down on judgment, and he takes away, and things kind of go back to normal. What does Pharaoh do? At first he relents. Okay, yeah, take your people. Go, go, go away. Just go. But then what happens? Once things kind of go back to normal, Pharaoh He's going to act the way he's always going to act. It's not God saying, okay, I'm going to harden your heart. He never truly repents. He never really believes. He just hardens his heart. How stupid is it? It's the foolishness of sin. First Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 20, 20 through 25. You don't have to turn. You may if you'd like to. Uh, chapters, chapter 1, 20 through 25. Look at this. This is the foolish of man. God says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. The discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? This world's wisdom is foolishness. And as the heart gets hard, that foolishness comes through more and more. It's plain to see. I mean, as Christians, like you can't watch the news now because you see the foolishness. You see the lies, the deception, what people believe, what the, the absolute lies and just everything that's contrary to truth being portrayed as truth. You know, this is, it's a biological fact that a man can't be a woman and a woman can't be a man, but that's not where we're at right now. Do you understand? This is, this is what's happening here. The denial of basic biology, basic facts, defending, just denying the truth. My little baby's having a meltdown. (laughs) So that's what Pharaoh does, and that's what we do when the pressure's off. Like a, a dog that returns to its vomit, we went right back. He went right back to who he was. And he did that right up until the end because God did not change his heart. So you see that foolishness. Paul goes on to say, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the foolishness of the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the first thing, and we just want you to see here, is like when that that hardness of heart is that foolishness of of sin. And what people will will... Um, gravitate towards and, and cling on to and just believe in and hold on to and say that's true when it's clearly not, when it's plain. There's not, there's, you know, there's nothing there. The, the, the veil is torn. The curtain is taken away. Secondly, we see God's sovereign power and authority because God says in verse 17, For the scripture says, for this very purpose I've raised you up that I might show my power in you. Might show my power in you. Pharaoh was considered the most powerful and was the most powerful person in the world at that time. His authority was absolute. He had a godlike status. You know, he really basically considered a god among the people. But before Almighty God, and here's what God is saying and showing them, before God, the living and true God, he is no God. The power, the authority that he has is derivative. It comes from God himself. He's an instrument in the hand of God, this most powerful one, the Pharaoh, the God-like person that people would venerate and worship. 
There's no mere man, and this is what we learn, be a king, a ruler, a dictator, somebody who's highly revered, respected, and feared that can deliver, that can save, that can redeem himself. He can't redeem himself, let alone anybody else. That's what he's teaching here. This is my power. This is my authority. Pharaoh, you're the highest in the land. You're the highest in the world. Here's what I'm going to do. People are going to see my power because your heart is hard and you're given to your sin and my authority is over you. You can't save yourself. You can't save anybody else. Only God has the power, the authority, and the ability to do that. He is God, God of God, King of King, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And then he says, my name will be proclaimed. My name will be proclaimed throughout the earth. It's his name. Why is his name proclaimed throughout the earth? Because he's the only true and living God. Pharaoh's not a God. Other rulers and kings are not gods. They can't save. They owe their allegiance to him. They owe their authority to him. They owe everything to him. The God who saves is our God, whose name is above all names. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Psalm 22, 27 and 28 says this, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and the families of the earth of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Acts 1.8 says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. His name will be proclaimed throughout the world. See, and Pharaoh was used in that. We're doing it right now today. We're, it keeps on going. We perpetuate that. He says it. It's true. It's happening right now, even as I'm preaching this. His name is going out to all the world. Pharaoh can't save you. False religions can't save you. You cannot save yourself. Only by grace in Jesus Christ, as you turn to him, as you repent of your sin, as you believe on him, as you receive him, as you rest on him, alone for salvation, will you be reconciled? Will you be redeemed? That's what he's teaching here. That's what he's showing here. God is sovereign in his election. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Nobody deserves mercy, so those who receive mercy are truly blessed by God. As we said last week, everybody else receives justice. They receive their just desserts, and we were in that. This is why I say to you, please don't take for granted. Please listen to this message. Please understand who God is, that there's nobody over him. He alone is God, and he's been pleased to shed his grace on sinners like us, undeserving sinners like us. We could very well be in that place of Pharaoh and have no recourse. It's not saying, oh God, I wanted to believe, but you didn't let me. I would have believed had you not hardened my heart. No, my heart is sinful. And if you do not intervene in my heart, if you don't change my heart, then I'm never going to come to you on my own. That's a big point that he's making here in this entire chapter. And he's using Pharaoh as an illustration of that. That we will not come to him. We cannot come to him because of our sin. And it's amazing that he uses is Pharaoh, the, again, at, at that time, he was like the God in, in, in the earth. And to show him, you're not a God. You're just a man. And you need me just as much as everybody else. And I'm showing that. I'm demonstrating that through you. As he 
delivered his people. And Pharaoh was lost in that way. So that's what he's saying here. That's what he's teaching us here. It's not harsh when you actually get to, to, to understand it. On the surface, it seems hard. On the fir- surface, just like last week, it doesn't seem fair. But when you actually take time to exposit the word, go through it, it, it makes sense. And when you remember, if you remember, I think most importantly, is our condition apart from the Lord, our sinfulness, our rebellion against God, our hard heart against God. If you have that, if you realize how that we can't, that we won't, that we don't want to, that we're not able to make ourselves worthy or to choose God because it's not part of our nature and that he has to come and change us from the outside in. It's not from the inside out, man. It's from the outside in. He comes to us. Then everything else makes sense. Then you see the sovereign election that none of us deserve anything but wrath, but he chooses to give some mercy. So what are we to say? It's not fair that not, not everybody say that we become universalists. You know, it's not fair that we don't, we don't have our free will. We'll talk more about that next week. But this is the sovereignty of God. So what do we say to him as those who've been chosen, those who have been set apart, those who've been given life? Do we fight against that? Say, oh, God, you're wrong. No, 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 no. We bow down. We bow down on our faces. We give thanks to God. And we are determined then to live for him. When you realize what you have in him, that from all eternity, he has loved you. He has brought you to himself. And that means we can't waste our time on ourselves, just simply living for this life. If you are in Christ and you need to seek him and say, how can you use me? How may I be used for you, Lord Jesus Christ? How am I going to be the husband that you want me to be? How am I going to be the wife that you call me to be to serve my husband, to serve my family in a loving way? What about the employee, that person who's not, who's going to be honest? We're living in a time, it's hard to, people can't find jobs. Employers are firing. Why? Nobody wants to work. We have a lazy society. This is part of that restraint being lifted. But you as a Christian say, no, I'm going to go in and do my job, even if that person's not doing their job. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to moan. I'm not going to bellyache. I'm just going to do my job as to the glory of God. Every sphere of life, we take captive to the obedience of Christ. We stop playing our little games. We start growing up in Christ. doesn't mean we can't have entertainments outside of the Word, but you need to be in the Word, and it needs to be primary. And from there flows our life for Jesus Christ, our hope in Christ Jesus. Because we're living in a time where the hardness, it's not like, it's like clay, it's, it's like cement, it's, it's hard right now. So we need to be the ones who are coming to, to, to soften up those hearts with the gospel of Christ through our lives, through our integrity, through our love for Christ, through our love for others, our love for the lost and all that we have and all that we do. Because remember, at one time, this was us. So we have great patience with those whom the Lord brings to us, even as we preach the gospel, even as they despise us, even if they hate us. The worldly reaction is, okay, you don't want this, and I'm just going to you know, forget you. The Christian reaction is, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to persevere with you. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what you say to me. It doesn't matter how much you hate me. It doesn't matter if you want to kill me. I'm still going to love you with the love of Jesus Christ because you need him. And then let him work in their hearts to bring them to himself, to show mercy or to withhold that mercy. But you always need to be merciful. You always need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So we don't have the prerogative of God. We don't get to choose, okay, well, this, this one. He has his mercy, but we 
must be merciful to all. We must be gracious to all. We must love all people with the love of Christ and with the hope that's contained in the gospel. That's what we're called to do because he called us out of darkness. So this is really a capsule. I think this whole illustration of Pharaoh you can really see the gospel in it, can't you? God through Pharaoh shows the hardness of our hearts, right? A hardness. Of, when he doesn't give us that mercy, this is what's going to happen. Mark it down, write it down. Like day follows night. This is what happens. Our hard hearts and what we deserve as a result. Number two, there's no higher authority than God. All authority is derivative. It owes its, it owes an obedience and thankfulness to God. Every single king, every single nation. Right? So God is higher. So that means even when there's authority that's above us, and we're going to get to this in Romans 13, but we respect that authority. We honor that authority. We're not these rebels just say, oh, you know, I'm, a, I'm not going to listen to you because I have my own ideas of what, no. We need to be praying for our leaders, respecting our leaders, praying for our leaders, but when they tell us or command us or make laws that tell us we must obey them, more than God, or that goes against Scripture, then we're going to have to say, no, we cannot do that. And we'll talk much more about that in Romans 13, but there's no authority higher than God's. They think, well, I'm the authority. I'm the magistrate. You need to respect and obey me. We need to respect and obey you insofar as your laws are godly, insofar as they comport with the law of God. But if you tell me, that I have to do something that goes against my conscience because my God says I can't do that. If you say you cannot preach against this or in this area, then what are we going to have to say and do? We're going to have to preach. Right? We must obey God rather than man. So there's no because there's no higher authority. Pharaoh was the highest authority in land, but he was subordinate to God. And then finally, that there's no salvation in anybody else. There's no salvation in any other king or person who are you looking to for salvation where you looking inside yourself that's not going to work because you're sinful you need help looking to to somebody else in power well in that person or in that job that's going to be my salvation that's going to give me dignity that's going to be give me purpose that's going to give me meaning that's going to you know give me fulfillment no that's not going to save you ultimately from what you need saved from and that's your sin. Only Christ could do that there's no other religion out there all the other religions are religions that Again, are derivative, are false. They take and they twist the, the, the scriptures. And that's why as Christians, we need to know what we believe, be able to articulate that, be able to give an answer for the hope because there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His name will be known throughout the earth. So out of the praise God, out of the religions, other cult, whatever it is, will not save you. Christ alone. You have to be firm on that. We're living in a day that's very pluralistic and ecumenical. What do we want to say to people? Well, if that's good for you, right? Chuck, if that's good for you, if that helps you, then you're okay. That, that works for you. But for me, it's good. And it should be for you too. But we can't do that. We can't do it. We're not living in that like this. There, there's no other way. If, if the Egyptians would have looked elsewhere, they would have been under the wrath of their king, of their, of their pharaoh and of their leadership, right? They were forced to look to him. People are being forced to look elsewhere or they're looking elsewhere. What do we say as Christians? There's only one way. In a day and age, it's very pluralistic. Everybody can do what they want, feel what they want. You stand kind of in a unique way. There are a couple others maybe, but it's Christ alone and only Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that. So we learn that. Our sinfulness, 
no higher authority, no other God, and that our need for salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. That's encapsulated even here as part of God's purpose to show who he is.